that was hauntingly beautiful and true and true and exactly what we are going to talk about this morning. So welcome back. If you weren't here last night, welcome this morning. Last night we ended with, I'm not going to say a bit of a cliffhanger, but we ended with a lot of bad news. We ended in a place of despair in some ways, that there is no one righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. And what we talked about last night is that this thing called righteousness is what we all desperately need. It, we cannot stand before the holy God that we just sang about and sang to we cannot stand before him without this thing called righteousness. And so if we want to know God, if we want to be able to come into his presence, we need to be righteous. But no one is righteous, no, not one. The news is bad. But hopefully that really bad news prepared you for the really good news. So turn with me to Romans 3.21. And if you have not marked this verse in your Bibles, I hope you will, because Romans 3.21 is the best news that anyone in the entire world has ever known. It is the most glorious verse, I would argue, in all of Scripture, because what Paul wrote was this, but now the righteousness of God, the holy, the perfect righteousness of God has been manifested, or it's been revealed, or it's been made known or it's been given apart from the law, meaning you don't get this righteousness. This righteousness is being revealed. It's not by doing the law. It's not by doing things perfectly. He says, although the law and the prophets testify to it, meaning the law is good and the prophets were preaching about Christ, but Paul explains to us what this righteousness is. The righteousness of God, okay, the righteousness of God, which is perfect righteousness through faith, through faith in Christ Jesus. For who? For all who believe. This righteousness, this thing that you and I desperately need, that we can never earn, we cannot manufacture it in any way. It is available to us, is what Romans 3.21 is saying. It's available to you through faith in Christ, meaning you don't earn it, you don't manufacture it, you receive it. It's a gift. It's a free gift from God to you. He, what he's done in the gospel of Jesus Christ is he offers the perfect righteousness of his son, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, he offers it to you. And when you believe, Romans 3.21 is telling us, when you believe that that is true, he counts you as righteous. He justifies you is the word that Romans uses. He unites you to Christ. You are now hidden in Christ. You are now in the ark that we talked about last night, and you are declared righteous. 
which means that you can stand before this holy God. You can come before him and you can call him Father. Because in Christ, right, because he is the Father of Christ, and in Christ you are given everything that Christ has, which includes access to the Father as Father, you can call him Father. And so this thing called justification, that's what this is. Just, you're justified when you believe that Christ did this for you and that this righteousness of Christ is freely given to you. It's on offer for all who believe. And you know what, friends? If the gospel ended at Romans 3.21, it would be enough. It would be more than enough. It is, it is everything we need for now and for eternity but there's more, but there's more. And for the next several chapters in Romans, from Romans 3.21 through the end of chapter 8, what Paul does is he just spells out all of these ramifications or all of these ripple effects of the gospel. Now, the core of the gospel is that you have been declared righteous, but there are all these ramifications, there are all these ripple effects of this idea that we've been justified. Paul starts off in chapter 5 with the fact that we have peace with God, this, this shalom. Like we, that peace with God, we are, we are no longer enemies. He has made peace with us through Christ. We have what I just talked about. We have access to God anytime, any place to talk to him about anything. He tells us that we know that our sufferings, because of Christ, we know that our sufferings are not in vain but that we can rejoice in our sufferings. That is a benefit of the gospel. He tells us that our future hope is a sure thing. And Paul says that even though now, today, you and I still struggle with sin, he starts off chapter 8 with, you might struggle with sin, but there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned because you've been justified. Those are both terms that are used in a court of law. And he ends chapter 8 with the fact that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Remember, it's in Christ. It's always in Christ. But if chapter 8 starts off with no condemnation and it ends with no separation, it means that you are eternally secure. And so these are just a few of these, of these benefits of the gospel of grace that Paul shows us in Romans 3 through 8. But in this session this morning, what I want to do is I want to slow down and I want to look at one of the benefits of our salvation. And it's found in Romans 6. Please turn there. But what we read in Romans 6 is this. Paul says, what shall we say then? So he's already been talking about the fact that this is a free gift. You just receive it. And so then he says, but because that's true, what do we say? Do we say, well, are we to continue in sin that grace may, may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, so there we are again, in Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For we have been united with him. There's that. We're in him. We are united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Think about the images in that video, okay? As we're reading this, I want you to think about that type of bondage. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Did you hear it? How can we, how can we, who have died to sin, still live in it? Verses 17 through 18, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you who were once in the bondage that the video talked about and showed, thanks be to God that you who were once that, if you are in Christ, having been set free from sin, have become a slave of righteousness. In any point, as you are reading these verses in Romans 6, at any point, do you want to just stop and ask Paul, what are you talking about? What do those verses describe your reality? Are you completely, absolutely dead to sin and completely free from it? I mean, maybe it is just me, but when I look at my heart and I look at my life, I do not feel dead to sin. I see the ugly tentacles of sin in everything I do, everything I say, everything I, I think, and yet I believe that the Bible is true. I believe every word in the Bible is true, and if God says I'm dead to sin, then I believe I am. But what do I do with this discrepancy? What do I do with this discrepancy between what it says and what I experience? What do you do with it? If the Bible says you're dead to sin and yet you're not experiencing it, where is the truth? And so I want to better understand exactly what Paul is talking about in chapter 6 so that I can appropriate it to my life, so that I can walk in the truth of what he's saying, don't you? That's, that's what we want. So look again, starting in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he's like, by no means. That's, like, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. He says, how can we who have died to sin, something that has already happened, it is a past event. If you have been united to Christ, you have died to sin. But he's saying, how can you, who this past event is true of you, how can you today currently walk in it, still live in it? And that's really his big question and the one we're trying to answer. How could we? Why would we? Why would we? And the first argument that Paul makes is about our union with Christ, this thing I've been talking about, that we're united to Christ. 
verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, there we are again, in Christ, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, by him with baptism, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, in the exact same way, if that's true, then what he's about to say is true by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. Four, if we have been, past event, united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be, future event, united with him in a resurrection like his. And he argues even further. He says, if you have died, you have been, past tense, set free. And here's how Paul concludes his argument. He says, if the things I have just said are true, if Christ has defeated sin and death, okay, has Christ defeated sin and death? And if you are united to Christ, if you are in him, if you by faith have received his righteousness, so if you have, then, verse 11, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is continually pointing back, isn't he? He's pointing back to Jesus, especially to his death and resurrection. And he is saying that because of those, those events, those historically true events, if you have been united to Christ, if you have be believed in him and been saved by him, then something has changed. Something is different. And then there's a future aspect to what he's talking to, talking about, verse 5, if we have been united, then we certainly shall be. That's a, a future event, united with him in a resurrection like his. And so we look forward to that. Verse 8 says, if, if we have died with him, we believe that we will also live with him. And so we look forward to our eternal resurrection, to that day that we will eternally dwell with him. But there is a present truth that is being proclaimed in these verses. Look in verse 4. That we too might walk. That means today. That means right now. That we might live. That we might walk in newness of life. That we would live differently as a result. Verse 6. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And that means today. Today. That you and I no longer. That we would no longer live under the rule of sin. And so what Paul is saying is that in Christ, your relationship with sin, to sin, that's what Megan was talking about in the video, your relationship to sin has categorically changed. Categorically. And in order to understand that, I think we have to see that at least two things have changed. Two things are new. When you are united to Christ, when you are saved, when you are justified, Scripture tells us that you have been made a new creation. And as a result, you and I have a new struggle. It's a different struggle. So raise your hand if you, and no shame if you haven't, raise your hand if you have heard of the framework of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Okay? Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. If you haven't, write those words down. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And each of those words represent a part of the story of Scripture. Because, you know, the Bible is one story, right? It is one big cohesive story, and it is a story that tells us 
about how all things were made good. They were made right. It was when we lived in shalom with God and with his world, and that is creation. And then in Genesis 3, we read that sin came in and broke all of that. It disrupted all of that, and that's what we call the fall or the rebellion. Then we read as that God promises and, and, and prophesies that he is going to send one who will redeem all of that, who will fix all of that. And Jesus did exactly that. He came to make it all right, and that's redemption. And one day, we read, especially in Revelation 21 and 22, we read that all things one day will finally and fully be made right. That is the new creation, and that is the story of redemption. That is why those four words help us, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. But not only does that framework help us understand this overarching storyline that we find in Scripture, it also helps us understand how our relationship to sin has changed. So if you're a note taker, this one's a little hard to just track with by listening. So I encourage you to write it down. So hopefully you've already written down creation, fall, redemption, new creation. But under each of these or beside each of these, I want you to write down what our relationship to sin is. So in creation, Genesis 1 and 2, we read and we learn Adam and Eve, they were able to sin. Those are your words, able to sin. But they didn't have to. They didn't have to. The tragic thing is that, is that they did. And as a result, their relationship and everyone who is born after them, their relationship to sin has categorically changed from that point on. And it's exactly what the video was showing. Because part of the result of the fall is that now our relationship to sin, we are all born in the same relationship, and it is not able to not sin. Those are your words to go next to it. Not able to not sin. But when Jesus came, which is redemption, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it ushered in a new reality. It ushered in a new kingdom. And for anyone who will be what? Born again, Jesus told Nicodemus, who would be born again. We are told what Paul says later. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ, there we are again, united to Christ. He is a what? He is a new creation. And it says that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And part of Paul's argument in chapter 6 of Romans, look again at verse 6, is that this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. That is, the old is gone of 2 Corinthians 5.17. In order that the body of sin, this not able to not sin, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus came to rescue you from the bondage of not able to not sin, from slavery and bondage to sin. That old self that was not able to not sin has been set free. Which means that your relationship and my relationship to sin has categorically changed. The old has gone. It is dead. It has been crucified with Christ is what the Bible tells us. That not able to not sin is gone. 
in Christ, we are now new creations, and our relationship, we become people. The Bible tells us, that's what Romans 6 is saying, is that we are able to not sin. That's our relationship with redemption, able to not sin. And friends, it's true. It will never be perfectly complete in this life. We will never live this out as fully as we should. And we're going to talk about why, but it's true. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 6, is that in Christ, if you have been justified, if you stand in the righteousness of Christ, your relationship with sin has categorically changed. In the garden, in creation, man was able to sin, but he didn't have to. After the fall, when we are born into what scripture calls the domain of darkness, man is not able to not sin. There is, there is no choice. We are in bondage. We, have, we are slaves to sin. But in Christ, we are actually able to not sin. Because in Christ, not only was the penalty of our sin paid, we're forgiven. We are forgiven. We no longer live with the penalty. The wages of sin is death. We looked at last night. We no longer live with that penalty. Death will not have the final say in our lives. And one day we know that in the new creation, we will no longer live in the presence of sin. Do you know what our relationship with sin will be in the new creation? Not able to sin. Not able. It's better than Eden. It's better than Eden because we will not be able to sin. But what Paul is saying is that in Christ, you are also, you are not only delivered from the penalty of sin, you are also delivered from the power of sin. Romans 6, 7 says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. J.B. Phillips translates the end of Romans 6 like this. For when you were employed by sin, you owed no duty to righteousness. Yet what sort of harvest did you reap by those things that today you blush to remember? In the long run, those things mean only one thing. They mean death. But now, just like Romans 3.21, but now you are employed by God. You are employed by God and you owe no duty to sin. You are not obligated to sin. So using this language of employed, I want you to imagine a scenario where a person worked for a company that was owned by an absolutely horrible man. Where this man would just verbally berate his employees. He would demean them. He would tell them that they were worthless. He would use terrible language, require them to do unethical and unlawful things. And every time an employee resisted or protested in some way, he would threaten her. He would threaten to fire her, threaten to not pay her, threaten to hurt her. And this employee was trapped. She had to live under his oppressive rule. But one day, but one day, another man walked in and purchased the company. It was a good man. He treated her with dignity and respect. He spoke kindly to her. He never threatened her. He told her that she would never be fired. Even if she messed up, she was safe. 
Now, the old boss was still around, kind of lurking. He showed up from time to time, and he called out, and he would demand, demand that she come back and work for him. Do you think she would? What should her answer to him be? I don't work for you anymore. You don't have any power over me. I don't have to do what you say because I have been delivered from your bondage. That's our situation. That's who we are. If we are in Christ, he is so good. And he is safe. He is eternally safe. He has purchased us. And yes, our old boss is still lurking around, but why in the world would you go back and serve him? Why would you listen to him? He has no power over you, so don't let him. Don't let him. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 6. Why would you? You have been set free from your old tyrant. Why would you go back and serve him? Because our salvation is not just the forgiveness of our sins. It is that. But it also breaks the power of reigning sin. We sing that, don't we? It breaks the power of reigning sin. Our salvation, listen carefully here, our salvation is not just for the age to come. It is not just Jesus died to take me to heaven one day. Yes, he, he did, and he is going to. But friends, Jesus died to set you free from your sins today. Today. Your salvation is now. It is now. It is today. Romans 6, 17 through 18 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, not able to not sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And that is exactly what God promised through the, through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I am going to give you a new heart, and when I give you this new heart of flesh, it is going to cause you to walk in my ways. It is going to cause you to be able to obey me. It's the first time we've been able to do that, is when the Spirit dwells in us. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, not, a, or not able to not sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So how are you doing with that? Are you a slave to righteousness? Are you absolutely dead to sin? Are you, are you completely free from it? Yeah, me either. Me either. So if we are dead to sin, and if our relationship to sin is now able to not sin, then why do we? Why do we? And part of the answer to that is similar to what we know to be true about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. The kingdom of evil, what scripture calls the domain of darkness, it's been defeated, hasn't it? But it hasn't been destroyed yet. Defeated, yes. Destroyed, no. And so in the same way that the domain of darkness has been defeated but has not yet been destroyed, in the same way that the enemy has been defeated but not yet been destroyed, in the same way that death has been defeated but not yet been destroyed, sin has been defeated but not yet been destroyed. In other words, we have died to sin, but sin has not died to us. It's been defeated but not yet destroyed. We have not yet been delivered from its 
presence. We have been delivered from its penalty. We have been delivered from its power, but not yet from its presence, which means if you and I have been transferred into a new kingdom, which is all of God's work, if you and I have been made a new creation, which is all of God's work, then you and I have a new struggle, which is where you and I need to get to work. And so we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We have been delivered from the power of sin. We will be delivered from the presence of sin. And our struggle today is to be delivered from the practice of sin. Let me just say it again. Paul is not saying that we will be perfectly sinless in this life. In fact, the whole point of Romans 6 and 7 is saying that there is a struggle. You know, if it wasn't, Paul wouldn't have to tell us that we were dead to sin. We would know it, right? Because it's kind of shocking for us to read it. But he goes on in the next chapter, in chapter 7, to talk about his own struggle with sin. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the, this body of death? I mean, that's, we can relate to Paul there, right? The whole reason Romans 6 even exists is because Christians need to be reminded of the truth and we need to be encouraged to struggle well. And that's what I want to know. How do I live out the reality of my new status? If I am dead to sin, how can I die to it today? And in verse 11, he begins to tell us, because Paul shifts from making statements that are true. We call those indicatives. True statements about God. And he gives us the very first, actually, in all of Romans, the first imperative or the first command, the first way we are to respond. And it's in Romans 6.11. And he says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want us to see here is that the command is not die to sin. Okay? That's already true of you. That's already been done. The imperative, the command, the thing for us to do is consider. Which sounds like just this weak sauce command, doesn't it? Like, consider. You know, I want Paul to give me something to do. Like, I want to I be in this fight. And considering hardly seems like doing. But the Greek word here has a lot more for force than our English word consider, it's actually an accounting term that means to reckon or to count something as a credit. And it, there's a surety in it. If I were to reckon $5,000 to your bank account, which I'm not going to do, but if I were to do that, if I reckoned it in accounting terms, it would mean that that money's actually there. It's not wishful thinking. It's, it's a reality. And so do you realize that when you are faced with a temptation... Do you reckon I can't help it? I'm only human? Do you reckon the devil made you do it? You know, do you think, do you consider, well, considering everyone else is doing it, what's the big deal? Or like we talked about last night, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. I reckon I'm not as bad as I could be. Or when you are faced with a temptation, do you consider the fact, do you believe the fact that you are dead to sin? Do you reckon, do you believe, do you consider the truth that you are a new creation and that your relationship to sin has categorically changed? Do you consider the fact that you live in a new kingdom and even though the old kingdom is still at play, you don't belong to it? 
You don't belong to it. And so in the moments of your temptation, in the moments of my temptation, you know, when you are tempted to yell that angry or that ugly response to someone, in that moment that you are tempted to tell that lie, in that moment that you are tempted to cheat, and that can be on a test, on your taxes, on your spouse, in that moment that you are tempted to turn to pornography, in that moment that you're tempted to retaliate or to seek revenge, or in that moment you're tempted to just minimize sexual sin, or you're tempted to turn a blind eye to injustice, or you're tempted to laugh at that joke. In those moments, when the temptation is right there before you, what do you consider? What do you believe to be true? Because I think that's where our struggle is won or lost. I think that's the moment, because the temptation is real, friends. The enemy is real, but the truth is real too. It's true truth. And so the same question that is posed to us is the same question that was posed to Adam and Eve. Whose word will you believe? Whose word will you believe? Did God really say that you are united to Christ? Did God really say that you are a new creation? Did God really say that you are dead to sin? Yes. And it's by believing him, by knowing what he has done, and by considering it to be true in the moment. That's how we live out the reality of our salvation. So friends, what do we do? Shall we continue to sin? By no means. By no means. If you are in Christ... Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because that is the new creation he's made you to be. Believe him. Let's pray. Almighty God, only you, only you, only you could and would take unrighteous people and make them righteous not not just label us righteous make us righteous lord we praise you for that father i pray that our faith would increase i pray that we would take you at your word i pray that we would believe you and i pray father that we would enter the struggle that you have set before us knowing that we are safe knowing that you have already done this work on our behalf and that we would believe that we are who you say we are. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.